0: Well, I want to talk to you this morning about the favor of God, but before we do that, um, first of all, the favor of God, there was a man, he'd been walking with the Lord a long time, he was walking on the beach in California, and uh, the Lord appeared to him, he says, highly favored man, I want to give you a request, what is your request? He thought about it for a minute, he says, well, Lord... I'm going to be taking a trip to Hawaii, and I don't like to fly. Could you build me a highway from the beach on California all the way to Hawaii? The Lord looked at me and says, well, you know, that's, that's really, really tough. Do you have something that's not as, di- as difficult? So he thought a minute, and he says, you know, I've had a string of broken relationships with women. Can you grant me the ability to understand women, how they feel, how they think? And most of all, how to communicate with them. You created them, Lord, so you know. God looked at them, said, did you want two lanes or four lanes to that highway? I know you've never had that experience, right? All right, so this burglar breaks in a house, right? And uh, he breaks in the house, and there's a parrot sitting on a perch. And the parrot says, "Ah, what are you doing? What are you doing? Jesus is watching, Jesus is watching. He says, shut up, bird. He goes, nah, Jesus is watching. He goes, bird, what's your name? Ah, my name is Moses, my name is Moses. He goes, Moses, who in the world would name a, a parrot Moses? Arr, same one that names his pit bull, Jesus. <laughs> I thought they were cute. I did good. I didn't I didn't insult the women, right? All right. I did, okay. Hey, it's an art. Communicating is an art. All right, turn with me. Pull out your outlines. Let's dig into the meat here. First, I want to get us all on the same page. If you don't have an outline, you can raise your hand. We'll get you one right here, couple here. You grab those, Mike. All right, just leave your hands up for a second. Mike will get those for you. Let me ask the question, how many of you consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus? Let me see all the hands here so I know where to go with this. Okay, that's good. Okay, so you all consider yourself followers of Jesus, disciples, correct? All right. Number two, how many of you would like God's favor to fall upon you and your life circumstances? How many would like the favor of God? Okay, about three quarters of you. Well, let me give you the definition of favor. First of all, favor is an attitude of approval or liking, it is support or advancement. Favor is an overgenerous, preferential treatment, and it's given often as a sign of approval. So when you're asking and praying, Lord, I'd like the favor of God to fall, what I want is your generous support, your overflowing attitude that you would just bless me and my circumstances. It's a good prayer, right? Well, I want to tell you the rest of the story about the favor of God. The Scriptures, now I'm going to read it the first paragraph there. The Scriptures clearly demonstrate that the favor of God throughout biblical history, from Adam to Moses to David to Gideon, Mary, Zechariah, Paul, etc. Most believers seek and probably pray for God's favor to be on their lives upon relationship circumstances, but a closer look at the favor of God reveals God's amazing blessing, but it also reveals the cost of God's favor. How many of you have ever thought, is there really a cost to God's favor? I, I just like the overgenerous blessing of God. I want the blessings. I don't want the, uh, the difficulties that go with it. But guess what? That's just not the way it works in the kingdom. But it's really clear also, when there is suffering that goes along with the favor, it's worth it all. It's going to be worth it all. A song we sing, it's going to be worth it all. You know, there was a theme this morning in, in lots of the lyrics of the song about that surrendered. We want you all. And this morning, I want to look at a scripture. If you'll turn with me, let's turn to Luke chapter 14. We're about to finish up. We've been in a several-month study Wednesday night. We dove into the depths of the study of Luke, and it has, as many times as I've read the Gospel of Luke, man, this was a great study. So let's take a look at Luke 14, and let's pick up in verse 25. I'm going to read between, I'm going to start in in the New Living Translation, the Thought for Thought Translation, but I'm also going to reference the King James, the Word for Word Translation. It's titled, Luke 14, 25, it's titled, The Cost of Being a Disciple. Now, each one of you raised your hand. Let's look at this. It says, a large crowd was following Jesus, and he turned around and he said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Selah. Wait a minute, hate? I thought we were supposed to love. By comparison, you're to hate your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you can't be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. So he turns to the large crowd and he says, there's this place of supernatural love that you have to have for me in comparison to all others, it will look like hatred. That's pretty strong words. Now we do know, right, what did he say? The the greatest commandments, there's two that everything hangs on, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and spirit, and love your neighbor as yourself. He says, all the words of the prophets can hang on those two commandments. But I don't know about you, remember when Pastor Terry preached on love, he says, I'm not capable of doing that. but he preached out of 1 Corinthians 13. Keeps no record of wrong. It has no memory of the bad. It's, it's, and if we have not love, we're just a bunch of loud noise. So scripturally, we see that this cost of discipleship means that we need to love him. We need to get past all of the life cares You need to even hate your own life in comparison to love. This is beyond our own capability. This is where Holy Spirit has to come and do such a work in us. But I love the lyrics of the song. I love the desire that seeking first the kingdom of God. Pastor Mike opened the service with that. Matthew uh, 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything that you need will be added to you. Well, what is the kingdom of God? You got a definition out of Scripture, right? Romans 14:17 says, "The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. We can't get past this righteousness. Papa Jack Taylor was here last week. He called me this morning. I'm going to fly down tomorrow morning to be with a group of people who asked me to speak at his conference the next three days, uh, Monday through Wednesday. Um, He's really been moved about what's going on across the earth in Nepal and India, the explosive. He says, come down and I need you to share this. There'll be a bunch of businessmen in the room. There'll be some of my sons in the room, some other pastors. Uh, Come and share what God is doing in the nations. So I'm going, but he shared last week that righteousness, the kingdom, he's, he's about the, righteousness is right thinking and right behavior. So if we'll do that, and he talked about, remember he did this, he said, go like this, and then go like this, and the problem is between your ears. <laughs> about right thinking, he says, look, if we'll get our thinking right, that's why uh, Romans 12, right, what do you say? Let God, don't be conformed to the world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Letting God, letting God, letting God change the way you think. And if you do this, he will reveal his perfect plan and will for your life. And there's so much truth in a lot. And so Lord, help us, especially in this season, when we look at the the pressure or the tension between the season and what the remembrance of that should be versus all the other stuff that goes with it. So as we look at discipleship, first and foremost, he goes on, Jesus then shares a parable or a discussion. He goes in verse 28, he says, you don't even begin until you count the cost. If you say I'm a disciple of Christ, don't even begin this journey until you count the cost. It's going to cost you your life. It's going to cost you everything. And unless we are willing to be so sold out in everything that we do, we're not worthy of being his. Now, He sold out, right? Didn't it say in John, it says, no greater love than this that a man would die for his friends. I no longer, he said that in John 14 and 15, he says, I no longer call you servants. I now call you my friends. And I reveal to my friends. Well, you tell friends, you don't tell servants. Right, So there's this part of discipleship. This is one of those principles. We've got to get it down. He says, you don't count the cost, you're going to miss it. He says, you're not going to go to war unless you sit with your counselors and look at the cost of the battle. You don't start building a house or a building without first counting the cost because you might run out of money. So he's saying, look, if you want to be my disciple, count the cost. If you know that it's going to cost you everything, then when it starts costing you, you'll say, well, it's just part of the cost. But he says, he's able, right? (laughs) At the end of this thing, when we present all of our, what did Paul say? These minor afflictions. Really, Paul? Stone, snake bit, left for dead. I mean, golly. He says, oh yeah, these minor afflictions are nothing compared to what he's going to reveal on that day. right. Right? So it's like, okay, So it's an important principle that there is a cost to discipleship. That way, when you get tempted about doing something that is not right behavior or it's not right thinking, when you realize, no, there's a cost, I've already made a commitment to cost on this one, therefore, I will not give into false behavior, false thinking. There's this place where it says, because it helps us in the empowerment by the Holy Spirit once we look at this. All right, let's look at another scripture Let's turn, let's, let's use the, um, the Christmas story about favor. Turn with me back to Luke chapter 1. Real familiar about this time of year. We often read this about Mary and the baby and Zechariah and Elizabeth. I want to pick up in Luke chapter 1. Let's begin in verse 26. I'm going to read out of the King James. It was... Um, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying. Imagine troubled. You know, Zechariah has the saying, he's troubled when he sees the, troubled means I'm scared so much that I need my pampers changed. That's about what it means. Well, it's not in the Greek, but that's my interpretation according to the book of Tom. And so we see this as like troubled. The New Living Translation says a little better, it says, don't be afraid, Mary. Greetings, favored woman. Gabriel appears as, greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed... Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. You have found favor with God. Now, favor with God. What, when you look at what transpires for Mary, first of all, first thing is your fiance is going to want to end the relationship. That's your favor. Well, that's, that looks like real good favor. It's a good thing Joseph was warned in a dream. Number two, your son's going to be considered illegitimate by the entire world. Can you imagine in the village, well, yeah, the Holy Spirit came on me. Yeah, right, Mary. Hmm. The world's not going to believe, even though it was prophesied by Isaiah in chapter 7, a virgin would conceive. So we see, it also goes on, it says, Mary... Remember Simeon's prophecy after the baby was born? Simeon had been, awake, had been waiting for the revelation of the, of the Messiah. And Simeon comes up to him and says, you're going, he's going to be the savior of the world. He's going to do all these amazing things. But you're going to face such hardship, Mary, and such heartache that it's going to feel like a point of a sword will pierce your very soul. Does that favor? You're going to go through such difficulty that it's almost like your soul is, and your heart are going to be so broken. But here's the rest. D there, it says, but you've been chosen to birth the Savior of the world, and he'll be, you will be known forever, and your son will be the Son of God. Does those difficult things, now after, I'm sure when Mary stood on the hill of Golgotha and watched her son, can you, come on moms, if you could envision what that looked like, But then after the resurrection, when the son comes and says, Mom, it's me. From that point on, all the hurt, all the wounds. In fact, it says Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. You and I are the joy that's set before him. All the generations have come, the resurrected presence. Because one day we're going to be caught up with him and we're going to be in this place with him forever. And we're not going to remember a whole lot of the suffering that it's going to kind of be like, all these things will be just like minor afflictions. Oh, yeah, they were back there. It's like mama who who gives birth to a child. On our four children, our, our last one was almost 10 pounds. Jenny was I'm like, Lord. But after she held that child, it's like all that stuff. Right? Right, ladies? The joy of the Lord is like... I don't remember so much now the birth pains of all that was going on for the life that has now been birthed. That's what Jesus is trying to get us to understand about favor. Well, let's look at Zechariah. How about this one? In Luke, just back up a little bit in Luke, and let's pick up in verse 11, Luke 1.11. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, remember he had been selected as once a year, the high priest, would, uh, they would select a priest to go in for the Passover. And the Lord appeared to him standing At the incense altar, when Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Hold on a second. How long ago did Zechariah and Elizabeth pray for a child? Says he's very old. Do you think they're still praying? It's beyond the natural years. So here's a question for you, or a statement. How many prayers have you prayed before that have not yet been answered? Got a few of those? Well, guess what? Revelation talks about those prayers going into a bowl up in heaven, and one time they're going to get poured out. Zachariah's prayer, Elizabeth's prayer, even though it is well past, it says it's in heaven and it's archived in heaven. It's still active in heaven. So Zechariah's like, I'm just doing my thing. He's, he's, I don't want to die in there because they remember they had ropes tied around them and bells. And if they get behind the Holy of Holies and they didn't start moving, they drag them out. And says, well, that guy had sin in his life. So he's like, you can imagine this consecrated holy going there. He's doing the action inside the Holy of Holy place. And the angel appears to him. Your prayers have been answered. Like, okay, what prayer? <laughs> How long ago? Your wife's going to get pregnant. Now, I don't know what age she was, but it says she hid out for six months. Can you imagine when she starts the show and she's walking through town, going to get water, and it's like, "What's up with that?" <laughs> she hides out, and of course, we know the story. Mary then is sent; she's given the word, and she Elizabeth six months pregnant. And when she walks in the room, what happens? John the Baptist leaps in her womb. Don't tell me a baby has no revelation. They don't feel joy, that just the, the baby, this whole lie that the enemy's placed upon children. So you pray about that our nation will get this scourge off it. This abortion needs to go. I'm praying that there'll be a whole change of that and our nation will step up. We know even from scripture here on and on about life and what it means. And it says children are a gift from God. We can see that from the Christmas story. So on go, let's pick up, it says, look at there in 2A, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. He's probably old and stopped praying about a child long ago, but his prayer is still active in heaven. It's archived up there. So don't be surprised if all of a sudden some of your past prayers that you've been standing on, those, those children, those loved ones, this situation you've been standing in believing God for, maybe you've given up, but heaven hasn't. God is able he goes on and says, your son will be very different. How'd you like this one? Zechariah, your son's going to be different. We, we know from Matthew 3, he's going he's to live in the wilderness. He's going to be a wild man. He's going to eat locust and honey. And he's going to annoy the religious people to no end. In fact, he's going to annoy an evil king so much, he's going to lose his head for being righteous. How about that? Now, the Lord doesn't reveal all of this to us. We don't know the details. Probably good that we don't know the suffering in specifics, right? All we know is you're going to go through some things. But in the going through of the things, if we'll keep our focus, because your son, and it goes on, even though he may, doesn't tell him he's going to lose his head, but he's going to be different, we know in D, 2D says, but your son will be one of the greatest that ever lived. In fact, it says, anyone who is not come into the kingdom yet, which is probably that revelation from Christ forward, John is the greatest of all the Old Testament. Now compare that to Moses and all the others. He says he's the greatest of all the old time, the kingdom. That's amazing. So he's going to be great. Well, wouldn't you like to know what attracts the favor of God? If you'd like the favor of God, you say, well, maybe maybe I don't want the suffering. Well, hey, you already said you're a disciple. Too late. You raised your hand. You're in. You've already signed on the dotted line. You're in. Now we just, Lord, come on. But let's let's look at the favor. I'd, I'd like to know what brings favor of God. Let's turn to Luke 2. Turn just to the right a little bit. And look at 252. Let's look at verse 31. Uh, 51, 2.51, Luke. Then he returned to Nazareth with them, and he was obedient to them, and his mother stored all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with all people. that's an intriguing scripture to me. Let me read the King James. It says, now, this is the place where, remember, Joseph and and Mary lost the Son of God, right? Do you remember that? It's kind of rough when you're given the chore of raising the son of God. And you lose him. <laughs> God, we lost your son. It's like, okay. So for three days, you know, he's, he, and it's interesting at that point, they have not exchanged His mom and dad, didn't, didn't you know it was about my dad, father's business, right? He was in the, in the temple talking with the, the priests and the Pharisees. At this point, though, it says, King James says, and he went down with them and he came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. This is where Jesus comes subject to his, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to wander away we I'm not going to cause you any more strife or in your heart or, or worry. And Jesus increased in wisdom, stature, and favor with God and man. Isn't it intriguing that the Son of God had to grow in favor with both God and man? But what is it? It's obedience. Jesus had free will. In the garden, when he tried to talk the Father, is there another way that we can do this? Right, what did he say? Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. This free will act of the Son of God. He could have done, he could have said, you know what, I'm not doing it. But he chose to do what the Father. And he says, he grew in stature and in favor with God the Father, the oneness of him. In John 7, he says, the Father and I are one and he is in me and I am in him and now I want you to be one with us in this oneness of God, in the mystery of the oneness of God. Both the God-man and he is both God and man. And now he finds favor with God and man through obedience. Obedience under the cross. Obedience under the being birthed in a smelly manger and walking this thing out, known as the illegitimate son of Mary. But he walked it out. That obedience draws favor. Well, You might say, well, that's the son of God. Well, let's look at How how did men and women draw favor? How is it that Mary drew favor? How highly favored woman? Let's look at some more scriptures. Let's turn. Um, Let's take a look at righteousness. How about this one? Turn with me to Acts chapter 7. Let's look at several scriptures in Acts. I'm going to show you a place where even a Roman soldier can find tremendous favor with God. In fact, his whole family and all of his servants get blessed because of his attraction of favor. In Acts 7, look at verse 46. This one is about David. David found favor with God and asked for the privilege of building a permanent temple for God. Now, how did David find favor with God? Give me some ideas. What did David do that was really... Favor attracting some examples. Worshiper. Remember, it says he was a worshiper. He sat on the back side of the mount when only the sheep were around and wrote the Psalms and praised and worshiped. He was a genuine worshiper of God. What else? He was repentant. When he messed up, remember when he messed it up, he was supposed to go to war, and he said he didn't go to war and he got in trouble watching Bathsheba take a bath. And, and what happened? The baby's born, and the baby, at that point, he repents for seven days. And in that deep, deep repentance, he was a murderer. He murdered Uriah. He slept with another man's wife, got her pregnant. But in that deep, deep repentance, Solomon is born. So I don't think any of us can say, well, I'm so, you know, Pastor, you don't know what I've done. Listen, the blood of Jesus is more royal than your sin right? You can get free of that, and you need, there is no condemnation, Romans 8, 1, to those who are in Christ Jesus, right? So this is a place where David, he has such favor with God. How about this? He refused to kill King Saul. How many times did Saul try to murder him? Even given the opportunity in the cave, or when he was sleeping, and his men said, let me run him through, he's trying to kill you all these times. He said, no, I can't touch God's anointed, It's not my job to do God. He puts Saul in place of kingship. It's not me to judge who's in the presidency, who's in this position, who's the leader of this. It's if God puts Romans 13 in place, those who are in authority, God allows that. Now, it may be some of the people's choice, but God works all things together for good. All right, that's a little side rabbit trail. We'll just... Let's let's look at some other places of favor. How about this? Turn with me to verse 10, chapter 10, 1. This is Cornelius. Acts 10, 1. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius. He was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, and as everyone in his household was. That's, That's an amazing statement right there. A Roman conqueror who's there, he gave generously to the poor and he prayed regularly to God. You can stop right there. Devout, God-fearing, generous giver, and he prayed regularly. God can't stay away from that. If you're looking for a favor of God, the attraction of God, where it says in Chronicles is, the eyes of the Lord look to and fro in the earth, looking for someone that he might show himself strong in. What is it that attracts that Lord, look this way. From Cornelius' experience, we see he was God-fearing. That means he feared the Lord. He prayed regularly. He was devout. That sounds righteous. He had boundaries. He may have been a conquering officer, but he had righteousness in his household. Well, God can't stay away from that. Look at what he says in verse 5. It says, 4b, uh, it says, the angel replies, your prayers and your gifts to the poor have been received by God. Come on. The very things it says you give to the poor you lend to God and he'll be a debtor to no man. You wonder why there's an explosion going on? You all have been blessing the poor that can never repay us in Nepal and India. Since the earthquake April 25th of last year, God has just been pouring in salvation upon salvation. Hindu villages converting. Why? Because you've given to the poor and God says, you watch what I do with this. Come on, those children, when you look in the eyes of those children, the Hindu children sitting on the mount where the landslides have come down, taken out their houses, they have no food, they're destitute. The government can't respond and here come the Nepali Christian men carrying 70 pound packs up those mountains 7,000 feet and they arrive in a village and said, here, and they say, Why? Why have you come? Jesus sent us, and our friends and family from the United States have sent this for you. Well, I want to know this, Jesus. The Hindu gods haven't helped us. Would you please let me know what this is? His name is Jesus, the Savior of the world. Come on. If you want to know what God does, God says, I will give to those who lend to the poor. Come on. If we get a hold of this, thing, it's like, Favor of God. Lord, because we love being in the favor of God. We know suffering goes with it. They're gonna accuse you, abuse. I mean, they did everything. Look at Paul, look at Silas. They beat him, they accused him, falsely judged, thrown in jail, left for dead, snake bit, judged, and then he, what does he do? As soon as he's on a shipwreck, which they didn't want to, he gets off on the Isle of Malta. I've been there. What a oh, golly. When I was in the Navy, I was there. It's not a not a good place. He gets off and what happens? He's snake bit and they wait for him to die. And he doesn't die. And they said, wow, he must be an angel. Let's worship him. Please don't worship me. No. And then was it happens? It opens the door for the governor and all those on the island of Malta to get saved. God is just like, that shipwreck looked pretty bad. Is that the favor of God, Paul? Yeah, we're shipwrecked snake bit. I'm looking real favored right now. <laughs> but what about what's counted to your cause, Paul, now that the governor and all those in Malta have now been saved by what you've gone through? Come on, if we can get the right view of what the Lord is doing in the midst of the trials and the tribulations of our life, we'll say, Lord, it's, it's going to be worth it all. What would you give for the salvation of one of your children? Come on, come on. We got to get, get our heads around that. Obedience and righteousness and giving and prayerful hearts. God fearing. Let's turn a little more. 13, Acts 13, 22. Acts 13, 22, It says this. The Lord found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. King James says it this way, David was raised up to be their king, to whom he also gave testimony when he said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Come on, look at David, David was known by God as a man that will do what I ask him to do. He didn't always do it right. He got wound up and, you know, he fell. And, but when he came back, he still, we know now, through the root of Jesse comes Jesus. It'll be called the city of David. <laughs> when the kingdom comes, it'll be called Zion, the city of David. So we can see what attracts God's favor in our lives. As we sit on the verge of looking at 2017, I've been praying and asking our staff, what is God telling you? What's, what is the theme in the scripture? We've We've had... Micah 6.8 has been the theme for this year. Micah 6.8, the Lord has shown you, old man, what he requires of you. To do righteously, to show mercy, and to walk in humility with God. Now, it hadn't been easy this year. There'd been a lot of, str- but guess what? When you add up fruit, if you can look at salvation, church plants, I have 35 churches plants. Or something. When you say, Lord, it's been a really rugged one. But, Tom, look at all the results of what I'm doing in the midst of the battleground. Would you trade, when that earthquake hit, I told you, I like, Lord, I don't understand why 215 of our believers died. And he says, Tom, my ways are higher than your ways. If they're in church when they die, do you think they had a good chance of being in heaven? Probably, Lord. Good. Is that a good place? Yes, but, 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 no buts. You go and do what I told you to do. And what has he done? He's now blown the doors wide open of salvation in those churches in the Himalayas and down in the valleys. and Golly, and it's part of the legacy of the goodness of God. But I gotta tell you, love has scars. It can be said there, number four, love has scars. Or if you like, love leaves a mark. Let's turn here. How about this one? Turn with me. To Luke 24. Just go to the back of Luke. Terry's going to f- finish this chapter out this week, Wednesday night. Luke 24, after the resurrection, in verse 38, modeling or demonstrating that love has scars, Jesus appears. After the walk to Emmaus, he shows up to a group, verse 36, and just as they were telling about the walk with Jesus to Emmaus, Jesus himself was suddenly standing among them. Peace be with you, he said, but the whole group was startled and frightened. Here we go again, troubled, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts so filled with doubt? Look at my hands and look at my feet. It's me. In fact, you remember the exchange with Thomas and John? Thomas wasn't there when he appeared to the disciples. Thomas says, Unless I see his nail scarred hands and his feet, I want, to see, I want to see the spear wound in his side. When he walks through the wall and says, Here, Thomas, come and handle me. Thomas falls on his face and said, My God, my Lord. Love has scars. How many mamas and papas are walking in this place, love has scarred you? You've been battling for your children, for your grandchildren. You're standing for your friends, praying for a nation. Love has scars. It does. But we got a good example in Jesus that guess what? Love may leave a mark, but the love that's allowed to flow through us will leave a mark on the culture that we serve. That's what Jesus is wanting all of us, right? He says, in fact, the bigger the yes... The bigger the yes we say to God, the greater the mark on our lives and the greater his influence will be through us. That's why I get excited. I brag about you guys all the time. You know, you're out at food pantries, you're down at Boots on the Ground with Save Our Kids, you're praying on the street corner for the, for the parent, Planned Parenthood place to shut down so mamas won't have that choice anymore of going there and confused in chaos. They'll, they'll choose God to live and, Overseas, on and on, support of the radio station, support of Israel. man I just brag all of that. man we got believers that they're lovers, they're lovers. 1 Corinthians 15:10, this will be the last scripture we'll look at. Just turn there. 1 Corinthians 15:10. Paul talks about being the least of all the apostles. He persecuted the church. He killed and locked up believers before he was visited on the road to Damascus. But he says this after Jesus appeared to the 500 at one time, eyewitness accounts, it proved he was seen by James. Verse 8, last of all, 1 Corinthians 15, a says, Last of all, I saw him. For I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle by the way I persecuted God's church. But whatever I am now, it is because of God's poured out his special favor on me. See, even in that murdering state of the one who was zealous and, not, and confused, verse 10, King James says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace has bestowed upon me, and it was not in vain. That's why we need to pray we need to pray for ISIS. We need to pray for the leaders of ISIS. And though, If God can get a hold of a Paul, what would happen if he turned one of those leaders? Come on. We need I know we need to stand and we'll, we'll defend and, and they're not gonna cut off heads without getting shot by us. But look, you know what? There's a place where God said, love your enemies. So let's pray into that. Amen. And we'll pray into that. And when God can turn them, what would happen then? Lord, I pray for great wisdom and revelation. The bigger the yes, the greater the God move through us. So this dance this morning, the last, the bottom page, stand firm, watch out, keep alert, persevere. We read it in the beginning, take up your cross daily. What does your cross look like right now? It may change over the seasons of your life. But every one of us right now are carrying a cross. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you want to be my disciple, you're going to have to lose everything. It's going to cost you everything. But there's a willingness in that cost. If you'll stand firm and watch out and keep alert and persevere and stand up. It says in Luke 21, He says, you will win your souls. He goes on in Revelation 3:10, he says, "Because you have obeyed, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come on the whole world." Those mid and pre-tribbers hang on to that verse like we're out of here. <laughs> That's the one. Yeah, we're out of here. We're going to get protected and take it out from the great testing. Hey, maybe. Either way, we're going to stand firm persevere, be obedient. I wanna ask at this point if we would be praying about next year and what would be the principles of Scripture that we're gonna, as a body of believers. So we're just praying through that. We'll, we're gonna have David Decker from Israel. I think it's gonna be awesome. I know it's hard sometimes. We'll be up the 30th and the 31st up and done and it's gonna be amazing up there and then to get up early in the morning on a Sunday and come to church at 10 o'clock when the kids want to probably be open presents and all that. But David Decker's going to be here from Israel. It's the only time he had He's going to tell us what's going on. He's amazing. He's been here several times and he's going to fill us in. And then we're going to just have a family meal together. Before we close, though, I've asked uh, Pastor Lloyd. He's got a testimony. I'm going to ask Pastor Lloyd Penley to just come on up. He's got an amazing testimony of what God has done. I'd like him to share, and then we're going to close out the scriptures. We're going to pray together.
1: Thank you, Tom. I want to tell you a Christmas story. It's a personal Christmas story. This is the first time that I've celebrated Christmas uh, and not behind locked doors. I wasn't in jail, and I wasn't in prison. I was in a memory care unit in an assisted living facility diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. And uh, my friends back there, Jim and Sharon Fink, would you stand just a moment? Just, they're shy, they don't want to take any credit, but okay. They would come see me frequently, which I don't remember anything at all about that. But Sharon prayed this, all those years, God make Lloyd well. And on October the 15th, 2015, I woke up one morning as if it had never happened. <laughs> But you see, um, uh, all those years are just a blur. My younger daughter came to see me last July with her husband and my grandson, and I don't remember anything about it because I didn't get well till October. But the point of my story feeds right in with Tom, and that is I lost uh, a lot of Christmases. And that is because what Tom has brought out so clearly to us, if you look at that top number one point there, your fiancé is going to end the relationship. They're going to say your son's illegitimate. And you're going to face hardship. You see, uh, I want to talk to to those of you who are losing Christmas this year. I know what it is to lose the meaning of Christmas. And some of you here today, it it might not be a special season for you anymore. I like what Charles Dickens wrote at the end of his novel, A Christmas Carol. He said, It was said of Ebenezer Scrooge that no man knew how to keep Christmas as well as him. Well, my point is, unless you've lost Christmas or are losing Christmas, it really, really isn't special. Even though you have your family and your friends and you're buying gifts. But when you've lost Christmas, and, and some of you today, you might be here, uh, maybe Christmas isn't special for you. You've lost a loved one or maybe you're facing a major illness, or maybe a spouse has betrayed you, whatever, God can still make Christmas special for you. Because personally, having lost many years, not knowing anything about whether it was Christmas or not, this Christmas is so special. But, it, you know, I have always enjoyed Christmas. Little boy, always got my cowboy costumes. Dr. Kit, got married. Oh, Christmas was so special. The kids, and I have always loved it. But this year, it's very special. Because I paid a price, as Tom brought out so eloquently. In other words, suffering is inevitable. If you're here today and you're suffering, and this Christmas is going to be very difficult to be special, don't feel alone. Suffering is inevitable. Next month, I'll be 70. And once you've lived that long, you have experienced some highs and some lows, some joys and disappointments, some successes some failures. That's part of life. Suffering is inevitable. And suffering comes on some more than others. In the last half of chapter 11, Paul wrote, you know, they were living in caves. They were sawn asunder. They were persecuted. Suffering came on some more than others. Today, you might be here, and, and maybe you're going through some suffering more than some of the others in here. But I want to tell you something. Suffering brings maturity. If you really want to get wise, if you really want to know what life is all about, then you must endure the suffering. As Paul said, as Paul said, I mean, Tom, <laughs> as Tom said, love leaves a mark. John recorded these words from Jesus for the for the city of Smyrna in Revelation, I know your works, your tribulation, and your poverty. You think you're poor, but you're really rich. And I would dare say to you today, if this Christmas is very difficult on you, let me tell you something: it doesn't last forever. It will get better. I'm proof of that. Jim and Sharon would bring me, take me out frequently, but I don't remember any of that. I wore diapers and smelled of urine from what they've told me if I went somewhere, couldn't find my way back home. And if I didn't have someone helping me in the memory (laughs) care unit to to just do daily hygiene, I didn't think of doing it myself. But all, all that's in the past. Because suffering doesn't last forever And and this morning Tom if you would give me the freedom I'd like to ask Not those of you who have uh, Your kids And Christmas is all wonderful There's nothing wrong with that Don't feel guilty Those of you that have a place to go for Christmas Right now I haven't been invited anywhere <laughs> I live in a retirement community For independent living and I love it there very much. But whether I get invited somewhere or not isn't gonna matter, because Christmas is so special this year. And I have decorated my apartment, and you ought to see it. And I bought presents for people I love. And I'm just having the most wonderful time. But if you're here this morning, and Christmas is very difficult for this Christmas to be special, I want you to stand if you would. Maybe you've been betrayed by a spouse. Maybe you're facing an illness. Everybody just close your eyes, please. And just stand, those of you that are having a difficult time for Christmas, being special. All All over the room here, stand up. Everybody's eyes are closed. Stand up. I've been where you are. I've paid the price. And it was well worth the cost because he is the reason for the season. Pastor, do you want to take over now and pray for these? Keep your eyes closed, please. Stand up. Pastor, you can take it from here.
0: Yeah, thank you, Lloyd. Let's, uh, let's do some body ministry right now. If you wouldn't mind, just you can open your eyes and look at the ones that are standing. Let's, let's lay hands on the ones that are close by you. When Pastor Lloyd to have Sharon and Jim, those are the prayers that are stored up ten years with no mind, and yet the truth be known, the testimony, the brief testimony I know of how the pastor had poured into Jim and Sharon's life that the impact they had on their on their family, and they just stayed in the fight and continued to pray and then to minister to Lloyd, even though he wasn't there mentally. And then one day, I don't know, I don't think I've ever heard of someone being healed of Alzheimer's, coming out and finding them in themselves in their right mind. I. So we have that now as one of our testimonies. So we want to pray into that and believe God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly. But now, Lord, all those that have, are walking through a trial and a tribulation, a difficulty for this season. God, right now I ask in laying on of hands that He said, if any suffering among you, let them call for the elders of the church. Let them anoint with oil in the prayer that we offer in faith. So, Lord, as we come together, it's also said if two or three of you would agree as touching, it shall be done for them. So, Lord, now would you minister to the hearts, the broken hearts, the the places where there's been a wound or a loss, a grief, a grieving place where relationships, loved ones that have passed, the difficulties of life. Right now, Lord, I pray that you would be closer than a brother, that you would come alongside and you'd minister to the hearts now, that the circumstances may not shift in the natural, but there's this peace that passes all understanding. That the peace of God that passes human understanding would be released right now. So, Lord, we thank you and we give you our praise and our offering, Lord, as we walk with you and we recognize in this world there'll be tribulation. But you said to be of good cheer, good cheer, I've overcome the world. And you found favor with God and man by walking in obedience. And so, Lord, we thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless each one.